what we've been talking about last week, we went over this verse in, uh, in Proverbs. And the verse says, Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for the lack of justice there is waste. Another translation of it that's a little simpler to understand says, A poor person's farm may produce much food, but injustice sweeps it all away. Today, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of this. Last week, we talked about justice. We talked about how the word mishpat essentially means God's divine law. And that's the the Hebrew word for justice. And so when we talk about justice, we're talking about the right order of things. We're talking about wholeness. We're talking about restoration to what God intended. So today... I wanted to start by looking at, there's, there's two categories of people that God has consistently shown a particular interest in. And those are those who have no provision and those who have no family. I believe that God cares about the first because he's incredibly passionate about the second. The Bible says he sets the lonely in families and it emphasizes that God is passionate about restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. Being in community, being a part of a family, is something God is very serious about. In fact, when it talks about him establishing the nation of Israel, he gives a really interesting metaphor. God gives a metaphor of finding a a just-born baby in the middle of the wilderness. And it's sitting there, and it's hungry, and it's alone. And God adopts this baby and raises the nation of Israel, essentially. When we talk about this idea of being hungry and being alone, how many of you guys have ever noticed it's hard to be around other people when you're really hungry, or at least hard to connect? I love, in, in our age, we've invented the word hangry, and that's, that when I realized that was a thing, my whole world changed. When I realized that, that, Some of our arguments could be solved by a Snickers bar. (laughs) It was a really happy day. (laughs) We'd have an argument, not a bait. Hold on, there's a Wendy's right around the corner. Let's pick this up in 10 minutes. The thing is, when you're hungry, when you're not sure where your next paycheck is coming from, it's really difficult to think about anything else. Poverty is debilitating. It separates us from community or family. Poverty separates us from being a part of a community or family. The reverse of that's also true. Family and community can separate us from becoming in a place of poverty. God's concern for the poor, for widows and orphans and even foreigners, is strewn throughout the entire Bible. But our culture has made it difficult a lot of times for us to connect to a lot of these verses and concepts. In fact, in researching this, I found a commentary that perfectly sums up the way that our modern mindset is. It's funny because it was written in the 1700s. But a commentary on this verse here, and instead of it saying injustice sweeps it all the way, it uses the word destruction. So here's what this, this guy says. He says, that is, it's destroyed for lack of judgment. Oh, how much the poverty of the poor arises from their own lack of management. They have little or no economy and no foresight. When they get anything, they speedily spend it, and a feast and a famine make the chief varieties of their life. This guy's looking at this verse, and what he gleaned from it was 
the poor don't have anything because they don't know how to manage it. And he paints this picture that essentially gives them absolutely no opportunity and no hope. He paints this picture where because they can't manage it, no matter what they get, it's always going to be gone again, and they're stuck in poverty. It's this picture painted of the whole of the poor. It doesn't matter how they got there. He's not really concerned with that. When I was getting into this topic, I realized our, our view of the poor is often based on judgment, not on justice. It's based on judging right from wrong, not on looking at how we resolve the issue, how we bring restoration. And I asked God, I said, what do you have to say about this? What does this topic mean to you? And the verse that, that he gave me was Proverbs 18.23. Now, this doesn't happen to me very often, but I asked God about this, and literally, he didn't tell me what it was. He just said, look at Proverbs 18.23. So I opened my Bible and pulled up Proverbs 18.23. And it says, the poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. And we talked last week about this idea of in order to get justice for ourselves, we have to be willing to share what we need. We have to be willing to evaluate how we can help people. But here's a situation where not only are people sharing what they need, they're pleading. They're pleading for mercy. And the rich, those who have much, say, well, you don't really deserve it. You deserve what you're getting. And that's what this guy in the commentary was saying. The, the unspoken implication is... They're, they're not getting it because they don't deserve it. They don't know how to manage it. And the inverse implication is, I have what I have because I deserve it. I'm not going to stick on this point, but in the political sphere, we have a lot of arguments for or against free handouts and this idea. We've heard the phrase, don't give a man a fish, teach a man the fish. I have nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to talk against that idea. But at the same time, for all of the clever arguments and analogies we come up with, how often do we stop to ask ourselves if it's a biblical or a logical argument that we're making? Is it something that just makes sense to our mind, or is it something that's actually out of God's heart? Because his heart is not always logical to our human minds. We have to ask ourselves, did Jesus say care for the poor, the widows, and the orphans as long as you're certain that they won't mismanage what you give them? What did the good Samaritan know about the guy he found on the side of the road? That guy could have been a druggie. He could have gotten healed up and patched up and gone right back to his heroin or whatever they used back then. Opium, I don't know. You don't know. What's ironic about this is nothing that we have do we have because we deserve it? In fact, the Bible talks about, Matthew 25, it talks about God reaping what he didn't sow. It talk, the Bible talks about all good gifts coming from God, not just those that he knows we won't misuse. And Jesus gave a whole lot of men a whole lot of fish in his time on the earth, whether or not they knew how to. This idea of how we respond to the poor is a big deal to God. And passages throughout the scripture that concern widows and the orphans and the poor are almost always connected to two things. 
They're almost always connected to justice or restoration to wholeness in God's order. And they're almost always connected to the onset of blessing or judgment. In uh, Zechariah, it says, administer true justice. And then it describes what that is. It says, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. It's really interesting. I've also been finding that these four categories constantly come up when he's talking about what God's passionate about us taking care of. The widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, three groups with no family, and the poor, a group with no provision that prevents them being able to connect into community or family. What's interesting is after God gives this admonition, administer true justice, it says, they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. And at the end, it says, when I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers the land they left behind them was so desolate that no one traveled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. We hear a lot in the political season about make America great again or whatever it is. You know, we were once a great nation or we need to, you know, we need to become a great nation. And it's all like, if you vote for me, I'll make it a great nation. It's so dumb. It's just like, I don't, anybody, do you remember the high school elections? where like people would run for class president and it's like, if I'm class president, we'll have parties every day and lunch will be free and school will end at noon. <laughs> exactly. And they don't mean a word of what they're saying. They can't enact the changes that they're talking about. The problem is when we talk about poverty, when we talk about poor people, and I'm not just focusing on the physically poor, I'm just kind of going there right now, we blame systems, and then we want a system to come in and fix it. It's the government's fault, or only the government can fix it. It's the church's fault, or only the church can fix it. Those are easy, easy things for us to say because it takes every ounce of the weight off of our shoulders. We don't have to do anything about it if we think about it that way. But God says, the pleasant land wasn't made desolate because you elected the wrong person. I let the pleasant land become desolate because you did not care for the fatherless, for the poor. In fact, this idea is so important to God that in Matthew 25, he turns it up to 11. And starting in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. So he's talking about the day of like all the nations are coming before his throne and then he's separating them just like a shepherd separating sheep from goats. And it goes through the people that he welcomes and he welcomes them because they did give to the least of these. And then he goes to the other ones and he says, depart from me. Now get this, you who are accursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's kind of a big deal. Notice it doesn't say anything in that passage about praying the sinner's prayer. It says nothing about going to church every week or tithing regularly or being baptized or volunteering for children's ministry. Why does God take a people about standing before his throne at the end of our lives and eternal consequences and connect it to what we did for the poor? I don't know that I fully know the answer to that question, but I think it's one we have to think about. I think it's one we have to dig into. Jesus said that the law is summed up by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We tend to think of love your neighbor as yourself as do nice things, don't be mean, leave a tract when you go to the restaurant. and <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I loved my neighbor as myself. It's just, it's just a lot more involved than we think it is because when Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself, He's saying, if you see the man on the side of the road, pick him up, help him. It's, very, it, it's a lot easier to equate this to what we see physically. We see people standing on the side of the road with signs. And, and the truth is, it's a lot easier to assume that they're standing there because they choose to be. wonder, why would they choose to stand on the side of the road with a sign? It's easier to assume that they prefer that to getting a job. It's easier to assume that they're misused what we give them. God doesn't qualify who or how we give to those who are in need. It may not always be give somebody 20 bucks. But when we see a need and we have the capacity to meet it, he's calling us to do something about it. When... Um, a couple years ago, my wife and I did a mission trip with our youth group to Nicaragua. And it was an amazing trip. We, we met some beautiful people. It's funny because the hotel we stayed at was actually owned by a Jewish couple that came to faith through the Vineyard Movement. And so really interesting stories from them. But we were ministering in this church. And there was another group from another town there. And they all had matching t-shirts and they were very nice. And and it was interesting because we came in saying, you know, what do you need us to do? Like, we didn't have an agenda. We didn't have a plan. We were like, you know, do you need us to clean something, build something, tear something down, preach the gospel, play with kids, serve food, whatever you need. Like, that's what we want to do. This other group, and I'm not saying this to demean them, but their heart and their mindset coming in was, we've got a puppet show planned, and we're going to do this big event and get a lot of people coming. And so... They did. They did a big event. They all wore their matching t-shirts, and they had puppets get up and say things, and there were kids there, and, you know, it was good. The question is, is it what they needed? Or was it just what these people decided they needed? It was really interesting because we were talking to the pastor, and he was actually really frustrated. He was a Nicaraguan native and spoke English very well, and, and in private he shared with our group, 
They have so many resources that we could use. They have so many gifts that we could use. But they come with their own plan, and we just have to honor them and let them because they're giving it to us. Figuring out how to do this is not easy. And when I first stumbled on this verse in Proverbs, I got stuck on it, particularly on the part where it says, because there's no justice, there is waste. And I think of a situation like what happened in Nicaragua, or I think of a situation where there's people all around us who have potential. They have fields that are not being tended. And who knows how much those fields could produce and how many people they could impact. The crazy thing about it is they don't know it. These poor people who have fields that are going untended and there's waste because of a lack of justice, most of them don't realize that they have anything to offer. Most of them don't know what their potential is because they have never been told. I felt like when I first found this verse, God was saying, you don't know what you're missing out on. You don't know what you're missing out on because of the people that could be benefiting the kingdom. I had no idea how deep it went, but I knew God wanted me to dig and find out. And this, is, this whole thing has been like an itch that just won't go away. But there's a promise connected to this. Earlier it talks about there's, there's actually a curse connected to not helping the poor. But there's a promise and a blessing connected to giving to them. It's really interesting. God tends to do things both ways. He's like, hey, I'm really serious about this. Let me give you the David Reyes translation of this verse. The David Reyes translation says, there is wealth and provision in the untended fields of the broken and oppressed. But because they are not made whole, the abundance they might bring is never seen. Because it isn't just about the poor. This is true for the poor in spirit, for the emotionally or spiritually oppressed, for the weary. It's easy to look at people who are in a situation of weakness or poverty or disconnection and for us to not realize what they have to offer. Because while the man on the side of the road might be a drug user, he might be the next big minister. He might be the next person to bring life and invigoration into the church. We don't know what he has to offer. Think about this. There's people that have lived that just because they lived and they were able to use their gifts to the full effect, they've impacted us. I want you to imagine what the world would have been like if there had never been a Robin Williams. And think about, just thinking about it that way, all of a sudden, each one of you who's familiar with him can think about little moments of enjoyment that you've gotten from him using his gifts. Or Prince or David Bowie, or, you know, those are entertainers. What about people in your life that have impacted you? What if somebody in your life impacted you because 
They were poor in spirit, but somebody brought justice to them. And that justice enabled their fields to start producing, which impacted you today. When Jesus asked the woman at the well for water, she was shocked. She was stunned. She couldn't believe that he would ask her for it. And she's like, why are you asking me? She's like, first of all, I'm a woman. Second, I'm a Samaritan. And third, a serial monogamist. (laughs) She was. But Jesus, by asking that question, assured her that she did have something to offer. Mary Magdalene was a former prostitute possessed by demons. She was previously looked at only for what her body could provide. But when Jesus showed up, he showed her that she was more. He showed her that she had an abundance to offer. And in fact, because of him bringing justice into her life, he told her, your story is going to impact people for centuries, for generations. When people talk about me, they're going to talk about you. When Jesus built his church, it's interesting, look at who he used. Because if you look at resources and, and you know, you want to build something that'll last, most people's tendency is to think, well, you build it with the establishment. You build from within, right? I want a big ministry, so I'm going to start at a church, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to get a promotion, and then I'll start my own church plan. You want to work within the establishment. You know, if Jesus comes, it's like they were saying, dude, Jesus, you want to be big, go out to Jerusalem. Like, work within the synagogues. Build a rep. And that's not what he did. In fact, instead of going with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and like showing how great he was and how knowledgeable he was, he goes to the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. He's having dinner with them. They're sitting around. They're probably just getting drunk and talking and laughing. And the Pharisees are looking at this saying, this is not what's supposed to be happening. This is wrong. But Jesus saw something in those people in the people who were broken and weak and poor in spirit. And he, in giving to them, in ministering to them, in meeting with them and eating with them, they wound up becoming the foundation of the church. Think about it this way. Jesus built an entirely new stream of wealth, money, talent, leadership, vessels of spiritual power, that is still impacting the world today through his church by repairing the hearts and giftings of the poor and the ostracized. By focusing on them, their fields produced enough fruit to inspire this church thing. We know that God and his spirit are behind that, but he built it through people that didn't have anything. They They weren't great. They weren't rich. They weren't leaders but they became that way. So it's interesting I've found in this, there's two sources of blessing connected to the restoration of the poor, connected to bringing justice to the poor. The first is just what they have, their untapped potential, their gifts, the passion and the potential impact that they could have on the people around them. But the second is actually God's direct blessing. In Isaiah 58, it talks about true fasting. And the people are coming to God and they're, and they're complaining. They're saying, 
Why have we fasted and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? And God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Just like it said in Zechariah, if you're causing strife and division and injustice and not caring for the poor, la, 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 I can't hear you. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. It says, if you do these things, it's saying, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun's scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. There's promises associated with this. That's why the more I dig into this verse, the more I'm realizing like this is an integral piece of God's heart. It's an integral piece of what he wants us to get and what he wants us to do. There's so much that I could dig into here. In Acts, if you study the miracles happening, you'll see there's a connection between the people that are being healed all over the place, miracles happening, and the church's commitment to helping the poor and widows. The more the church worked to bring physical and emotional justice and restoration to those in need, the more God opened up the heavens to provide the same thing in the supernatural. And that's what God's promising in Isaiah 58. This is the ultimate you belong message. Because there's so many people that we have a tendency to walk right by and not, not realize what they have to offer. Not just the person standing on the side of the road with a sign, but people close to us, your husband, your wife, your kids, your family members, your friends. When we talk about the people who are poor, and when we talk about bringing justice, when we talk about doing this thing, I think one of the big questions is to ask is, do we look for ways to bring restoration? Or do we encourage separation? So, so here's a way of looking at it. Here's a question. For those of you married couples, or those of you with friends that you fight with every once in a while, do you wait for them to apologize first, or are you willing to apologize first? Do you wait for them to provide for your needs before you're willing to give anything? In other words, do you hold back? Do you have pieces that you hold back and say, I'm not going to, you know, I'll be honest. That's been difficult for me sometimes. Because when we get in a fight and we're arguing, I want to say, well, it's your turn to apologize first. I don't know about you guys. Who keeps count? Or who's... Okay, nobody keeps count. Well, good. You guys are awesome. Okay, thanks for being honest. <laughs> okay. See, we don't want to admit it. And, and I don't want to admit it. And I, I've, 
I have stopped doing it as much, I'll say, but there was a period in our marriage a couple years ago where I literally was keeping count and I was like, here's the percentage, babe. <laughs> here's the percentage of me apologizing first versus you apologizing first. But even in that, think about that. Even in that, the whole concept of that is I have something that you need and I'm withholding it. It doesn't matter. It's not about me demanding what I need. It's about I see something that would bring restoration. If you have it, give it. That's not easy. We can't do that on our own power. But I think we need to fight for it. Another question we need to ask is, do we believe in the food and provision that God's planted in others to bless the world around them? Do we actually believe that, that people that we don't like, that we don't connect with, that are different from us, that believe different from us, do we believe that they have anything to offer that could benefit us or the world? Or do we believe that they have something more than what they're showing? And if we do, are we willing to tell them about it? Are we willing to encourage that in them? There's people I've met where on first meeting, and even many subsequent meetings, my, my mental judgment of them, my opinion of them was, well, they're just who they are. They don't really do much. They just kind of sit there. They don't talk. They're just, you know, they're who they are, and that's okay. And I didn't give it a second thought. If I had been willing to see more, I'd have realized that when they finally did start speaking out, there was so much that I was able to learn from them, and it was that impacting me in such a huge way, hearing them speak, because finally they had their courage and the capacity to do it. I felt bad that I wasn't one of the ones that encouraged them to start speaking. And then lastly, do we want to know what we're missing? This is a big, complicated topic. Like I said, I, it, I've just been digging into this, well, I mean, probably for six weeks, and that's not nearly long enough to have a remote grasp of justice and what God's heart for the poor looks like and who are the poor and how the blessing works and the promises that he's made. I don't get it all. But I think we have to ask ourselves, do we want to know what we're missing? Are we willing to dig after it? Are we willing to... Start looking at the world around us in terms of what has God given me to give away? Everything I've been given is free. It's not my job to decide how someone else is going to use it. It's not my job to decide, even to decide what they really need. I mean, we have to be willing to ask them that question. We have to be willing to come and humbly say, what can I do for you? Or if God gives us a download and gives us a revelation, we have to be willing to share that and say, encourage them. You have a voice. Use it. Every time you speak, I'm impacted. I wish you would speak more. Essentially to say you belong. And if you are having trouble belonging because you don't have provision, I'm going to find a way to provide that. What excites me the most about this is I, I genuinely believe 
that this is such so much on God's heart that we will find if we start thinking about how to do this and start focusing on how to live this out, he will bring supernatural provision and blessing and healing. I believe that miracles will start happening. I believe that God means it when he says your healing will appear quickly. I believe it when he says he's going to provide for us. And, and, and I believe that this is a big thing. I don't want to come out and just say, you know, do A and you will get B. And yet, it's kind of what God has said. I don't claim to understand it, but I want it. Last week I shared about a story about a man who walked in to a, a training camp in Spain. Didn't even speak English. He had just been robbed. His leg was, was hurt. And they prayed for him. And the way that, that the leader described it was they gave the gift of healing to the man. Can you imagine if we were invested in bringing justice, if God gave us things like the gift of healing just to give away? I do believe that if we're willing to try and reach out, that our gentleness will have a return, that our mercy will have a return, that instead of speaking with a harsh word, thinking about what we can do, So let's pray. God, we just thank you that you are the God who tells us we belong. The God who longs for the people that are separate, that are outside of families, that are alone, that are fatherless or widowed or orphaned, that are poor, that are, that are foreigners, God. God, we thank you that you care to pull us into families. God, that those of us who are in families and don't feel like we belong, I pray that you would help us to share those needs with people around us that we would be pulled back in. God, I pray you would show us how to bless those who need you. Show us what it means to bring justice, God. God, we want your blessing. We want your healing. We want all of the promises of Isaiah 58. So God, I just ask that you would change our way of thinking about justice, change our way of thinking about people that are poor or that we perceive as poor. Help us to see what their potential is. God, we love you. We want to get this more. I just pray that this would penetrate our hearts, that you would expose us to more of your truth regarding this issue. Spirit, come, bring your life, bring your provision. God, give to us so we can give away and show us what we already have to give away. In Jesus' name, amen.